All right. So um, we're still bombing Afghanistan, but um, it's okay because the cabinet is diverse. (laughs) The United States has no right, no desire, and no intention to impose our form of government on anyone else. No democracy can survive when its public life, its public goods are so privatized and militarized and individualized. So you won't take down lies or you will take down lies? I think it's just a pretty simple yes or no. So we tell a handful of billionaires who become phenomenally richer, yeah, you're going to have to pay more in taxes. No, exactly. So today we're going to be discussing the war in Afghanistan, which is now, I think, the anniversary is coming up in September, right? Or maybe not September, but it's coming up this year, isn't it? Um, uh, well, I know we invaded in 2001. So sometime this year, the war will be 20 years old. Yeah, the war is almost old enough to buy a drink. The war is old (laughs) enough to go to war. Um, It's almost old enough to buy a drink. And it's interesting because one thing Pete Buttigieg actually said during the campaign was like, you could be 18 years old and you could sign up to go to like go into the military and you wouldn't even be alive when um, 9-11 happened. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You can, um, God, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the mark is. I think if you're born in 2003, though, I think you can go into the military. You can go to Afghanistan um, and you can go and, and participate in this war. Um, and, and yeah, you were you were born after the event that, made us go into the war in the first place um had 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 even taken place right and like what i think is really notable is the fact that the terrorist group responsible for bombing uh the twin towers on september 11th 2001 was al-qaeda and currently and i believe at that time the terrorist group controlling afghanistan is the taliban so What George Bush did is essentially by declaring this war on terror, he kind of grouped all these terror organizations into like one conglomerate. And I think that that had the effect of creating this like other that people could be afraid of, like this group that's, you know, we don't know them. We don't know what they're like. We don't know what they're about. And conquest of the other. (laughs) Yeah. And that's that's what it is. And uh, something that comes to mind for me is like the amount of Islamophobia and um, just like discrimination that people today who are, you know, Muslim or even like a darker skin color have to face when they try to do anything, especially um, like I was talking to a buddy of mine and he was telling me about the horrible experience that he has every time he flies, like every time he flies, they, do like a you're a random person that we're gonna check and i just got so angry i mean obviously like how angry can i get like i'm a white woman so i can only be angry on his behalf but like this is this war on terror and this like perception that you know muslim people darker people are dangerous is has pervaded and continues to pervade so i i just want to point out that that aside from the war in afghanistan that's another consequence that george bush by you know grouping all of these 
Islamic terrorist groups or that's not even I don't even think that that's fair to call them Islamic terrorist groups because um my comparison that I would make as well is the KKK a Christian terrorist group because they claim to be Christian but you know if you're a Christian person you would say absolutely not they're not Christians you know so these terror groups um lumping them all together and creating this war on terror yeah, it's inter- it's interesting that you bring up that point because um, another thing that you'll always see floating around the internet, um, usually on the anniversary of nine eleven, is um, never forget. Yeah, forget. and it's like, how could we? That's You're reminding not- us it happened every yeah yeah every year. yeah. But it's it's also their way of saying you know like like they don't say always remember. They say never forget. Like never forget what those people did to us, mm-hmm. and so it's like. Like, you know, keep your guard up, you know, stay pissed off, stay angry. Um, yeah. You know, keep, keep this um, thought in the back of your head that there's an enemy out there, you know, and that enemy, oh. you know, doesn't have to be the people who actually did it. It can just be, you know, someone, your neighbor you at the store. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who, who looks like the person that you're supposed to hate. Um, and it's just, um, yeah. It's I, a propaganda it's tool. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive propaganda like tool. Yeah. And that's um kind of I I think the I mean one of the reasons but one one of the main reasons why they're able to keep this war going and why they're able to you know convince people that oh well we just have to be there and um you know we have to maintain a presence and it's you know the if we fear. Yeah, this is something you hear like I mean this is kind of this is kind of an old talking point, but I mean, I heard, I heard Dan Crenshaw make this point on Joe Rogan not too long ago. He said, well, you know, we got to fight him over there if we don't want to, you know, or if we got to fight him over there or else they're going to fight us over here, you know? And it's like, yeah, they're going to um, <laughs> drive, drive across the ocean and, um, and attack and, and, and attack the United States. With all of the money that they have and the extremely strong troops that they have. Right, because it's interesting. You brought up, you brought up, um, I think you brought up Al Qaeda, and there's, um, there's like less than, I forget how many, but um, very few Al Qaeda members actually left in the um in the country of Afghanistan. You know, because we were initially told when we invade when we invaded, we were told, oh well, we have to go in there to get um Osama bin Laden, and right. you know he was with Al Qaeda, obviously, um. And we pretty much defeated Al Qaeda in that region, but um, oh well, now it's uh, now it's the Taliban. You know, they were they were protecting Al Qaeda and they're and they're a threat to their own people. It's like, okay, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> you want to you, you want to know how many groups out there? You want to know how many governments out there are a threat to their own people? I mean, oh. what's what what's the standard there? Are we just supposed to supposed to get involved everywhere? Exactly. I mean, yeah, and and. Again, the like insane contradiction of like the fact that our top ally in that region is Saudi Arabia, one of the worst governments on the planet. Like we don't care about human rights. We don't care about, you know, spreading democracy. That's not that's another lie that's th- that's thrown out there. You know, it's a lot more about money making by the military industrial complex, defense contractors. It's a lot more about the opium wealth that exists in Afghanistan, just like the oil in Iraq. So, yeah, that's that's what's going on. And 
oh, it's just insane that it's that that it's gone on for this long to the point where it's it's barely discussed anymore in, yeah. in mainstream news. Absolutely. Like I saw, I remember a couple years ago, or probably last year, um, I saw an article that said like climate change is this generation's Vietnam. And while I appreciate the sentiment, <laughs> um, Afghanistan is our Vietnam. And I had a professor once who made the argument that the reason people, there isn't as much anti-war protesting going on because we're not being drafted. And I think there might be something to that. But at the same time, I, I do think that there are a lot of people, again, like if like we talked about the last episode, like I think that there are a lot of people who would say, if you ask them, you know, would you like a sleeve Afghanistan, people would say yes. And in fact, um, during the Democratic debates, there were a plethora of different candidates, some more progressive than others, who said, even people who judge said, you know, by the end of my first term, we're going to start getting out of Afghanistan. I think Elizabeth Warren said it, Andrew Yang said it as well. Um, and you brought up a great point about Saudi Arabia. We just seem to be willing to let them get away with anything. I mean, Saudi Arabia is responsible for some of the most egregious human rights abuses across the world. And we have no interest in spreading democracy there, it would appear. And that spreading democracy thing, that's been around since the Cold War or maybe even prior to it. And it, it never seems to be effective. It never seems to be definitive or successful. And to me, that brings up this question of why, which you have already answered by saying, you know, there's money involved, but why did the American people continue to believe that this effort to spread democracy, this effort to institute change is going to be successful? And I think a large, I think it's multi-pronged. I think it has to do with the fear I think we're still, like you just mentioned, using 9-11 as like this fear-driven propaganda tool. And, you know, that's not to say that it wasn't a terrible, sad thing that happened. But at this point, I mean, how many people died in 9-11 and how many people, American and Afghan, have died in this 18-year or, excuse me, 20-year almost war? Yeah, I would, I would say kind of the... Like, it's not even just the democracy thing. It's just, like, a matter of how the goalpost constantly gets moved. Yeah. Like, we saw this with Iraq. It was like, oh, Saddam Hussein, he was involved with 9-11. Oh, but it turns out that wasn't true. So, uh, he has weapons of mass destruction. Uh, well, it turns out that wasn't true either. So, oh, well, um, uh, he's just a bad guy. But, again, we're allied with tons of bad guys yeah. around the globe. Like we, like, we don't have a principled stance against bad guys and and with respect to saudi arabia they've actually funded that we we have funded them and supplied them with weapons and they have in turn funded al-qaeda i think know? it was about 17 of the pilots in 9-11 or seven i, I think i'm getting seven, yeah. yeah seven of the pilots in 9-11 were saudi arabian saudi nationals yeah but um, there's also the um, authorization for use of military force that Congress gave George W. Bush after that happened, which was basically a blank check to fight terrorism, quote unquote terrorism, all around the globe. And what's that? Right, what that whatever has that resulted means. in. Yeah, what that has resulted in um, in recent years is, um, well, us um, arming Saudi Arabia while they have been um, committing a genocide in, in Yemen. 
All right. Yeah. There are there are there are Houthi rebels um, on the ground in Yemen, fighting Saudi Arabia and and fighting Al Qaeda. So when we supply them with when we supply Saudi Arabia with weapons, we're acting as you know essentially the air force, um, doing drone strikes and, and dropping bombs of Al Qaeda. When we bomb Syria, as Joe Biden just did recently, we're acting as the air force of ISIS, effectively because the Syrian government is fighting ISIS. So it's gotten to this point where we're not even fighting terrorism anymore. We're doing the terrorism. Mm. And that's something that, you know, you're, you're not allowed to say, but it happens to be true. It is true. And I think when you point out, you know, gave them a blank check, we have spent $2 trillion, And that was in, that number is from 2019. It comes from the New York Times. I'll link the article in the description, but we have spent $2 trillion in the war in Afghanistan and 500 billion of that was interest because we borrowed money to go to war. And I mean, you take a look at, I mean, we're going to get into in a second here, the, the military industrial complex, because that comes up again and again with Nick and I, because we just see it as this heinous form of government waste but there is an analysis done by the inspector inspector general who documented 15.5 billion dollars in waste and fraud waste and fraud yeah that reminds me there was some other analysis that was done recently um some report which basically said only a third of the pentagon's budget went to actual like fighting went to actual like weaponry artillery stuff like that and the other stuff just went to um overhead if, if any of you guys have not seen the um documentary iraq for sale go ahead and watch that uh, documentary and see how the government would basically be in bed with these corporations who would supply a lot of the um a lot of the supplies for the war and they would purposely like upcharge certain items like stuff down to like you know like a porta john or like a can of coke they would like super upcharge it and then the government would would pay the bill and it was sure. just basically this like giant money laundering scheme and this happens with uh, the defense contractors all the time alexandria ocasio cortez in a committee hearing yesterday or not yesterday this was this was weeks ago uh but she was asking someone from the uh dod it was either the dod or the pentagon you know hey why is it that um this part that goes on some type of weapon that costs like 20 bucks to manufacture and 20 bucks to make, like, why is the DOD buying these for like 800 or $850? Exactly. <laughs> and it's because, yeah. And, and it's because these defense uh, contractors buy the politicians to a large extent. And those politicians write giant appropriations that go to the DOD or the Pentagon. And then they upcharge, um, products and buy them from these uh from these different vendors and it's just it's a, it's a huge scam and it's a huge and it's a huge waste especially with COVID-19 and how big of an economic strain that's been on our country like <laughs> we're putting all this money into war while people here don't have health care while people here are going homeless um it's it's totally it, it's it's totally backwards it is. And so I think, you know, to clarify, when you say they're buying the politicians, you're talking about donating money to their campaigns. 
And so we've got a situation in which, you know, Lockheed Martin, you know, you name it, defense contractor says, okay, well, we're going to put, you know, millions of dollars in this pack. And this pack is going to donate to, you know, Joe Biden or whoever. I just pulled the name out. I'm not saying that that's true, but it could be. <laughs> Do your research, opensecrets.org. <laughs> but, you know, and seriously, opensecrets.org, because you can look and see where all the industry money comes from that donates these campaigns. But then when these politicians get into office, they say, okay, well, you know, Lockheed Martin gave me, you know, plenty of money to run this campaign. And there's kind of an understanding that at that point, they're going to vote to a lot more money to war so that Lockheed Martin can do the thing Nick was just describing where they charge $800 for a $20 part. And that is a bill that the U.S. government has to foot. And essentially, let me correct myself, that's a bill that the U.S. taxpayer has to foot. And again, Nick, as Nick just mentioned, we have COVID-19. We have people that are homeless in the richest country on earth while we're spending $2 trillion on a 20-year war, during which case... The Taliban has gotten stronger. And this is according to a New York Times article. And you can say all you want about the liberal media. So, <laughs> um, which that's a whole nother episode. The media is not quite liberal <laughs> as, as people think it is. But Taliban control most of the country at this point, And they are continuing to get stronger. Um, another thing I'd like us to talk about is the opium trade that goes on in Afghanistan. Afghanistan supplies 80% of the world's heroin. And out of that $2 trillion that I mentioned, uh, the money that we've spent on this war in Afghanistan, we spent $10 billion on counter-narcotics. And I mean, how much you think about like the drug policy that we have here in this country. And again, Nick and I did another episode. You can check that out on uh, drug policy and how we both believe that it would be more constructive to have... Um, policies in which people with addiction problems were helped instead of simply incarcerated. But how much money are we paying the private prisons to incarcerate people for narcotics from Afghanistan? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's it, and I'm laughing because it's it's not funny at all, but it's it's kind of twisted and ironic. Yeah, it's insane, too, because service members will go to Afghanistan to protect these opium fields for U.S. industry. And then they'll come home and become like a cop and they'll arrest somebody for, you know, using opium and putting them in a private prison. But that, that I mean, you brought a private prison and prisons and that's such a good parallel in it because it shows that the incentives are kind of the same. Like when there's a lot of money to be made off of war, there's going to be more war. And when there is money that can be made off of private prisons and how many you know, asses they can get into beds, mm -hmm. they're going to try to get more people in prison, you know, absolutely. And that's, exactly, and that's exactly what's happened. So it's a perfect illustration of how, you know, when you have the profit motive at, at hand and something as important as that, where it really shouldn't be, um, you're going to have these per perverse incentives and you're going to have um, um, this kind of uh, foul play uh, happening. And you mentioned the liberal media earlier and the quote unquote up, liberal media. Yeah. I have to bring up 
a report from the Washington Post, and this came out at the end of 2019, called the Afghanistan Papers. And I'd recommend anyone um, go and read the whole thing. Um, it's kind of lengthy, but it is it is worth it um, because it basically details the fact that so there were, there were basically all these all these government documents, all these interviews that were conducted in um, 2014, and they were basically brushed under the rug. The government found out about them and they were like yeah let's not talk about these um now they're um now they're publicized and um in their in the washington post uh did some really great investigative journalism here um but they were talking about how basically even the generals even the top guys in afghanistan did not know what we were doing there did not know what the goals were what the strategy was wow um and it talks about how during the obama administration they would um they would always basically change the narrative or they would they would shape the narrative in a way that justified us keeping troops there. All right. Mm-hmm. So like here's here's an example. They would say, oh, um, the insurgency is is the Taliban's in its last throws. So, you know, that means we're winning the war. You know, we just need a little bit more time so that we can officially um, win and declare victory. Or, you know, when the when there was a lot of fighting, they'd say, oh, there's all this fighting. We can't leave now. We got to stay. And it was always and it, and it was always them trying to justify why, oh, we just have to stay there. We just have to stay there. Um, and using basically any argument, any excuse they could come up with to do it. And then you had Obama and, you know, same thing with Trump, yo-yoing the troop levels, pulling troops back, increasing troop levels. And then, you know, a affecting the the fighting that way but yeah another example about how like like this isn't about spreading democracy it's not about stabilizing this country Um, no you have to ask yourself at a certain point if the top generals don't know what we're doing there if they cannot ascertain a strategy if they cannot figure out a concrete reason that we are still in afghanistan and again google it Look up um, these Afghanistan papers. Like I think they came out last year, right? Uh, the end of 2019. The end of 2019. Okay, so last year. <laughs> um, again, you have to ask yourself why. Why are we still in this war? And to that, you know, semi-rhetorical question. Again, follow the money. We're talking two trillion dollars here, and that is money that is being spent again on this military industrial complex. And just to clarify the definition of that, which we have been, you know, kind of walking around it this entire episode, but the military industrial complex is that cycle that we were just discussing where these defense contractors donate money to politicians, the politicians then get us into wars so that the government can then, or the taxpayer can then spend money on the defense contractors resulting in these corporations making money and money and money off of violence off of death and that's and when i said that just now i was referring to people in afghanistan civilians kids (laughs) you know we we bombed schools we bombed or i say that hospital yeah hospitals but that's also resulting yeah, in we, the death of people here who aren't 
getting the money that they need for coronavirus treatment, who are getting the money that they need for health care. So everyone should be outraged about this and people should be talking about the war in Afghanistan more because it's a sham. The Taliban is getting yeah. stronger. Yeah, I think the fact that we've bombed hospitals, the fact that our drone strikes in that country have killed civilians 90% of the time shows that the whole narrative of, oh, well, you know, we have to be there because, you know, if we're not, then the Taliban will kill civilians while we kill civilians um, just shows that that's BS. And and yeah, I'm the military industrial complex. If you think that that's conspiratorial, you know, just ask Dwight D. Eisenhower. Yeah. He warned about that same thing. He said, hey, when there's a lot of money to be made at going to war, you're going to get people who want to go to war, who want to come up with excuses um, to go to war. Smedley Butler, war is a racket. You know, you have these perverse incentives that are at play here. And that's, and they're, and they're totally at play with Iraq, with Afghanistan, with our alliance to Saudi Arabia. Um, it all comes back to money. And it's and so interesting. Benefiting. Yeah. And who's benefiting. And it's so interesting because before I finished my bachelor's degree in political science, I used to think that this was all conspiracy. I thought there's no way. Come on. You know, people would say, oh, you're doing political science, huh? Well, corporations run the government anyway. So why should we pay any attention? And I thought, oh, come on, give us a chance. Go vote. You know, and don't get me wrong. I still I still think that you should vote, but you should vote for the people who aren't who are taking the least amount of corporate dollars because that, you know, and time and time again on this podcast, that's going to be the underlying problem is because that is how the government works. And if you don't believe us, if we sound like, you know, crazy tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists, then I strongly encourage you to look it up, watch the documentary that Nick just mentioned, opensecrets.org again is in the numbers are all there and you can see for yourself. This isn't, you know, cockamamie BS. This is, real and this is your government yeah uh joe biden too of all people he, he actually admitted someone asked him once too about this about this like issue of him taking corporate money and if he, if he thought that was wrong and he said something to the effect of like well what do you mean you know i, I took money from them and then i did what i did what they wanted <laughs> so like no <laughs> yeah i forget he the did video not. exactly i'm yes. shocked you guys didn't see it, but my jaw dropped. <laughs> oh yeah, my god! Yeah, but he basically he basically said, um, oh, I forget what the quote is exactly, but he he was talking about like when he was a first member of the U.S. Senate, he got elected like when he was twenty nine, took office when he was thirty, and um and and he talked about how he would go to these um donors and he would ask for their their support, their money, and he'd say, and they'd say, oh son, come back when you're forty, and. He came back when he was 40 <laughs> and, and then he talks about how he would do their bidding because he got the most money from them. And it just shows like how not only like that's true, what we've been talking, but it, it also shows kind of how how old of a politician Joe Biden is, not just like <laughs> in his age, but like like the way he thinks about like he has that terminal Washington brain. Sure. where he thinks like he's pre that's the way it works yep of yeah, course like, i did that oh, what what did they they gave me money so of course i did that <laughs> right and doesn't and even realize of... that that's not what people expect out of their government exactly and it's it's, it's almost like it's i don't want to say it's refreshing but it's like it's refreshing in, a, in the way that like oh he's not he's not even trying to dance around it where a guy like pete Buttigieg judge would like he's just, he, he's just saying it so like we all know 
Um, but yeah, that's, that's another thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I just want to throw in in response to people who say, well, you know, we're funding economic development over there. We're building schools, we're building hospitals over there. Um, we did spend $24 billion on economic development, but most Afghans still live in poverty. Um, so again, you have to look at, you know, people are living in poverty over there. We're living in poverty over here. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and pull out the Marianne Williamson card. <laughs> I don't do it much on this show, but Let's um, have it. <laughs> I strongly encourage, I believe her campaign website is still up. Um, a lot of people, I will preface this by saying a lot of people think she's just like a loco, like crystal, uh, sage burning freak. But if you look at her website, what she proposes and what I would propose as well as a political scientist is a more humanitarian form of um, action towards these impoverished countries. So things like um, really building schools over there, and that's not accompanied by bombs, building schools, taking a look at like, what do these countries actually need, whether that be um, different forms of humanitarian aid, you know, food, clean water, things like that, and then see where this so-called conflict goes. Yeah, absolutely. I think if we're, if we're going to have a foreign policy, it should be a foreign policy that's predicated on actually trying to make the world a better place and not just throwing endless piles of money at this pit that hasn't worked. It hasn't produced anything. Like you said, the Taliban controls more of the country now than they did when we initially invaded. Yeah. So it's like at $2 trillion basically lit on fire while that country is people are still impoverished. People in this country are still impoverished. Our, in, our infrastructure here gets degraded D plus and we're throwing trillions at the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan. And, and, and it hasn't worked. It's not, it, it's not producing the outcome of, oh, decreasing terrorism or fighting terrorism. It's, it's contributing to the terrorism. Absolutely. Because what ends up happening is they, the different terrorist organizations use footage of what American soldiers do to these places, including the bombings, including the killing of civilians. And they use that in their recruitment footage. So what we're essentially doing is fueling this anger, this rage that they have towards the U.S. And what I'm saying and what Marion Williamson was saying when she ran, and I know I, that mentioning her, I risk discrediting the argument, but please hear this out. Instead of using violence, if we were instead to support these communities and um, not even necessarily to try and institute any type of government. I mean, ideally, uh, people would be able to be self-actualized in their government. They would have the form of government that they want. But I'm talking about providing basic necessities to other countries. If we really want to get involved, that's going to give them a better chance at having any type of democracy than bombing the crap out of them. Does that is that not logical? Does that not make more sense to at first provide for their basic necessities and then you know maybe at that point say okay so now here's a stepping stone to democracy rather than taking this impoverished country where you know afghan people are suffering they are you know lacking education 
um, because there are not enough schools, there's not enough hospitals, and then saying like, no, you're going to do your government our way, so we're going to come at you with violence. Yeah, it's um, you're totally right, and that and that whole Marion Williamson <laughs> thing, um, that was totally media driven too. Like they wanted to paint her as a crazy stole lady who, you know, was was like we and oh was um, you, you know, was just crazy on that. That was that was their point because she was talking about a lot of those things because she understood them and they didn't want to hear it. So that yeah. was all that was all media driven. But yeah, they that's another perfect example of how and you don't even need to show them video. I mean, they they do show them video footage in their recruitment for terrorism. But yeah, I, I think anyone in the United States should be able to understand, like if a country was bombing the United States and killing civilians here, um, would you take kindly to it? And it was saying, oh, we're here to we're here to help you. Um, we're here to spread democracy. Um, I mean, it's it's like um, like like look at Iran for example. We overthrew their government in a uh, 1953, all right, because we wanted cheap oil and we put a puppet dictator in power. Yep. And it led to the Iran Iranian re- revolution in 1979. Um, and that country was super resentful. They're still resentful to the towards the U.S. And now they'll do something like uh, I don't know. They'll like. You look at us the wrong way or they'll bomb a Saudi oil tanker, you know, ooh, and we'll be like, oh, can, can, can you believe this mm-hmm. provocative action from Iran? It's like, <laughs> yeah, why, why do you think they're being provocative? Or, or do you have or who, to do? who is the original provocateur? Exactly. Like, how do you think the U.S. would respond if if Iran overthrew our, our government and just said, oh, well, we're, we're going to put this government in place now? It's it's I mean, it's just so many. It's, it's, it's the arrogance of U.S. empire, number one. But yeah, it's just this idea that we we run the world. We're the world police. And, um, you know, what we say, what we say goes. And there's no regard for the consequences or the long term impact. Uh, but the long term impact has been disastrous. And we need to Absolutely. we need to recognize that. Absolutely. And if, if we do want to have. You know, and people people often say, well, this is the richest country in the world. We have such a great, you know, thing going here. So therefore, like, it is our duty to be that, to occupy that role, to be that world police. And again, my response to that contention is, well, first of all, I don't believe that. <laughs> but if if we choose to have that type of approach towards other nations, then why not? Why does that leadership not come in the form of, again, humanitarian aid? Why does it come in the form of violence? And I think that, again, you have to look at, well, which makes more money? That's not profitable. Mm-hmm. You know, investing in education, um, investing in, um, you know, investing in renewable energy, it's profitable in the long run, but it's, it's not profitable right now. Um, investing in the community, those aren't things that are going to generate uh, profits for defense contractors or <laughs> profits for oil companies or, you know, uh, drug companies that, you know, use the opium. And yeah. And so, the private so you've got, prisons. Um, yeah. Right. So, so it, all, it all comes back to money. Uh, there, there's not a lot of money in uh, rehabilitation. You know, you have to you have to put um, more effort into that. That's a lot harder. But 
it's more sustainable uh, in the long run and more effective. Exactly. And if you're, if you're again, and you, you mentioned this already, if your goal is to actually create a better um, country and a better world, it's going to be incumbent upon you to work hard or go the extra mile or do the things that aren't easy um, in order to make that happen. You know, like mm-hmm. it's easy to just fly over and drone, you know, or fly over and, and drop a, a bunch of bombs, especially when um, they're benefiting some of these uh, defense contractors or they're benefiting the banks. I mean, can you imagine how much these banks make off of just like of, of these transactions, you know, between the government in, in these uh, in these defense contractors, whether it's Boeing or, or Lockheed Martin or any of the other ones. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. So so, yeah, we really need to get away from that. And that starts with kind of what we mentioned already, electing politicians who don't take corporate PAC money who aren't bought and owned by these interests and, and, and are actually dedicated to and persistent on creating a better, a, a better society and a better world. So I guess there's nothing left. <laughs>